You're listening to The Real Wealth Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. One of the best ways to protect our real estate assets is through really good insurance. But how many of us really know what to look for in the policies that we get? I'm Kathy Fetke and welcome to The Real Wealth Show. Today's guest has 15 years experience as an insurance agent for investors only. Beth Boisseau-Coutts has been with J.B. Lloyd & Associates since March of 2006, and she's here with us today on The Real Well Show to break it down for us. So, Beth, welcome back to The Real Well Show. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I, I, you know, here we are in California. It's very difficult to get insurance that will cover you if you're in a fire zone, uh, but most of, our, most of our listeners don't invest in California but they are investing in Florida and there's probably things they need to know about their insurance policy before they buy anything. I mean, so many people are, are investing there. So let's start there. Is there anything that people should know about, uh, about getting in their policy if they're investing in, in places like Florida that tend to have hurricanes? Yes, there is. Um, Florida is tricky because the um, incidence of wind damage and flooding is very high there. So um, typically insurers will rate up that state. So you can always count on paying more for insurance, which definitely needs to be factored in when you're you know, looking at investing in a region. Um, that being said, it's not impossible to find the coverage. It's just something people need to be aware of. Um, and the other thing is to make sure the policies have wind coverage. Yeah. Okay. So what should they look for in the wind coverage? Um, just that it's there. Um, some <laughs> carriers will actually say, okay, we'll write you this policy in Florida that has, you know, the highest number of wind claims in the country each year, but we're going to exclude the wind coverage. So that would be something to look for when shopping for insurance coverage is just make sure that the wind coverage is indeed there. And also, um, you know, make sure if you're in a flood zone that you have the flood insurance as well. So if you're not in a flood zone, should you still get the flood insurance? Not necessarily. You know, there are areas, you know, more inland that you definitely don't need it, but there are quite a few areas that you do need it. And of course the lenders, if you have a lender will require it as well. And what is named storm insurance? I know uh, one of our members at Real Wealth had a property in Houston uh, during that big hurricane. I think it was Harvey. Harvey? Yeah. Yes. And yes. They we are not familiar have... with Harvey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know they, Harvey well. <laughs> you know. You know Harvey real well. Um, so they did not have named storm insurance, and pretty much every hurricane has a name. So, what should people look for in that? Not to get it. Not if to get it. No. If your policy is excluding named storms and you're in an area like the Gulf, you know, anywhere on the Eastern coast, you do not want a policy that's going to exclude named storm insurance. You want it to include named storms because the named storms are the hurricanes, the tropical storms, you know, those very destructive high wind storms that come in on that side of the country. So you, you don't want to, get a policy in that area that's not going to cover that. And that's different than the wind uh, coverage? Well, so 
No. Yeah. <laughs> a name? Yes. I'm already. No. I'm already completely confused. Yes. Welcome to my world. <laughs> yes. So named storms would include wind, but that doesn't mean. So if your policy is saying uh, we exclude wind, that does not necessarily mean that they're not going to cover wind claims. They're just not going to cover wind claims that come from named storms. Okay. So um, that I don't see a lot of that anymore where the carriers are excluding named storms, but you still see it out there. So it's just something, you know, be aware of if you see that on a quote or on your policy, definitely worth a phone call. But you wouldn't necessarily need that in, say, Atlanta or Dallas. No, because no. they're, they're definitely not Dallas. Either. Uh, probably not Atlanta either. Um, parts of Georgia, yes. Um, okay. Not to say that Dallas and Atlanta don't have wind claims because they do, but you know you're not going to get Harvey and Katrina right. in Dallas, Texas. There's no coast. <laughs> so in places like uh, Dallas and, and Atlanta, they tend to have the tornadoes. I don't know if those have names, but is there a special no. insurance for the tornadoes? Wind. Wind. So, okay. And with um, that type of weather pattern, you often see hail as well. So, and, and on the insurance policies, you'll see those together, like wind, hail, deductible 5% or $5,000. Or sometimes you'll see wind, hail, deductible 2.5% or $2,500 deductible. So what they'll do is in areas that have high incidence of wind claims, like Dallas, Oklahoma, they'll carve it out where it's a separate deductible for those type of perils because they're so frequent in those areas. Okay. And the, and the hail, the hail storms in uh, Dallas are, are surprising to people who aren't from there because you, you don't think of Dallas as a place that would have hail, but um, sometimes the, the hail is like a baseball or something, right? It, and it just, truly, truly is. Yeah. I'm sure you've heard me say we moved from Dallas and I'm so glad because there had been times <laughs> where we would hide in the closet because we it was like Armageddon. I mean, it wow. truly you felt like all the windows were going to shadow and shatter. And in some places, they actually did. I never had that happen. Um, I did get a lot of new roofs, but um, I never had shattered windows. But I know people who did. So it's oh yeah, yeah. Huge. We went to they're look like at this. They're yeah. they're huge and they come down hard. I, I went right after a big storm. It was probably ten years ago went to Dallas and the fencing had, it looked like someone, it was just a hole through the fence, just like somebody yes. shot through it. Uh, and and like you said, it's this. all replaced, right? Oh, yes, yes. And you know, they're just, the insurance carriers are so well aware of it that they expect to be replacing roofs in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, the Oklahoma area, North Texas, um, every two to three years. It's just expected and oh the rate reflect it. I mean. It's, yeah. it's factored into the underwriting. Now, is there any kind of insurance in Texas for foundations? And I say that specifically because, uh, again, I know I, one of our Real Wealth members ha owned a property in Dallas when there was a drought. The land kind of shrunk. They didn't keep it moist, which I think the property manager should have done, and it caused foundation issues. Do you, do you know anything? Is there any coverage for that? Not that I'm aware of. Um, typically, that's going to be neglect, mm -hmm. to be honest with you. And yeah. 
um, then they're not going to insure for neglect. Um, okay. But I will say just from a loss prevention standpoint, if any of your members have homes in the North Texas area with that clay soil, water the foundation. The summers are long, they are hot, and that clay soil will definitely mess up the foundation. So, so most property managers know that, but it's important for the homeowner to know it. Uh, yes. Like you're just, is it enough to just water your yard or do you, you need to have someone go around it once a month and just put water around the foundation? Well, no, and that's such a good question. So we always um, had, you know, sprinkler systems and we watered regularly. I was really into my garden. So I, we probably overwatered, but <laughs> a lot of people will put, you know, the, um, soaker hoses around the foundation. And then when it starts getting really hot and the rain stops, then, you know, just turn those on at night, just on a low setting and just soak the foundation. And, and again, like you said, the property managers, they know this. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I would say in the due diligence, just make sure that the property managers doing or making sure that the property is being taken care of because that could be a liability claim for that property manager if they're not doing what was agreed upon with their homeowners. So mm -hmm. not an attorney, but just saying. Yeah. Fascinating. And so again, I'm in California. I know a lot of our listeners don't invest there, but they own homes uh, with our fire insurance is just becoming very difficult to get, especially if you live anywhere near recent fires, we're mm -hmm. not nearly covered in our home uh, for, it's just, there's a limit to what will be covered. Uh, is there any way around that? Or you just have to insure as much as you can and yes. the rest. <laughs> You're right. There's no, no way around it. From my perspective, um, my carriers have oddly enough, not rated up California mm. despite all the recent fires. Now I've seen right after the fire, some of the fires, they'll say, okay, what area are, is this person investing in what, and they may be a little more cautious in their underwriting, but I have not seen rates rate being raised um, due to that. Which is, I know it, it is really amazing because you know they're very reactive to different things, but they still love California. Um, that being said, I'm not sure how that looks from just to, to the typical homeowner policy standpoint. So, but from a real estate investor insurance standpoint, I have not seen really a whole lot of impact from it. Oh, that's, that's good news. We'll have to call you <laughs> for our, our policy. Yeah. Uh, now, one thing I know is a lot of Californians do not have earthquake insurance and we, we get earthquakes. We mm -hmm. actually talked to our insurance provider and he said don't, not to worry about it because we're up on a hill and apparently the hill properties don't, aren't as affected by earthquake as, as earthquakes as the ones in the Valley. I, have you heard anything like that? What I have heard is that it's so prohibitively expensive mm -hmm. that it's just not really worth getting. Mm -hmm. um, that that's mostly what I've heard. But what your insurer is saying makes a lot of sense to me. Just it seems like things that are lower would be more impacted, or things that were near a fault line would be more impacted. But um, yeah. I think if, a, if an earthquake comes, you know, there's really doesn't matter where you are, you're going to get shook up. But I think the idea <laughs> was, yeah, 
the idea was that uh, maybe the lower land has looser dirt. It's it shakes more than if you're on a, a hillside property. It's really probably harder um, rock, bedrock that you're on. That's interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. It makes sense to me, but no, I have not heard that. Yeah. So. Yeah, and then of course there's all kinds of uh, parts of California where it's just landfill, so it's probably not going to do real well. Um, <laughs> this is true. Yeah. Okay, um, so so what kind of policy do you recommend for, say, someone buying their first home? It's or do you you don't even do that. You you do more portfolio. I do policy. more portfolio. We can do just the one off type property, or like the investor just getting going and they only have the one. Honestly, it's not usually as competitive mm -hmm. for them. So I'll often say, you know, we can do this. However, this is an indication. I, I'll they'll tell me a little bit about the property and say, okay, this is an indication of what your premium would be for the year. Go out, talk to the you know standard market insurers, get an individual policy quote, and then come back to me if that doesn't seem reasonable and, and we can talk or I'll take a look at it for you. It's fine, whichever. Um, and then come back and let's talk again when you have three to five properties because that's where I can get very competitive um, in terms of their premiums, offer them much better streamlined coverage and also make their life a lot easier. So someone that has more than three properties, ideally more than five, they can have all of those policies under you, under yes. one company. That would make it easier, wouldn't we have so many <laughs> different providers? Yeah, um, because then you're managing, you know, a number of different policies, expiration dates, uh, coverage forms, you know, and that's extremely hard to keep up with especially not being, you know, an insurance person. I mean, who wants to read an insurance policy and well, who keep up? Even can read it and understand it. Right. Yeah. So, okay. So what, what should be in that policy in, in a landlord policy? I mean, what would you say a, a minimum for liability insurance and what about umbrella insurance? I mean, what, what do you like to see to make sure someone's really covered, but not paying too, too much? Not, you don't right. want to be overcovered. So what I like to see is, and, and honestly, this is what we have on our own rental portfolio up in the Dallas area. I like to see a million dollars per occurrence on the general liability, uh, $2 million aggregate per property on the general liability side with no policy aggregate, meaning that we could be sued multiple times per property up to $2 million and with every house we own and there's no limit before we have to get, you know, get into our excess umbrella limits. Um, I like to see on the property side, replacement cost settlement, meaning they're going to be replacing like with like, as opposed to um, deducting depreciation. I like to see a special form policy, meaning that everything is going to be covered unless they've specifically excluded it in writing. Um, this is a, opposed to the basic form policy where only what is written down is covered. So it's a much more broad coverage form more comprehensive. Uh, I like to see um, no co-insurance. And let's see, I also like to see an occurrence form where uh, even if a claim comes after the fact, after that policy has expired, it would still be covered rather than, okay, the policy is expired or you know we've moved to a different carrier and now they're no longer going to cover it, even if the claim has come up after that. So um, those are some of the things I like to see. 
uh, you mentioned an umbrella and those are very good because what, what they do is they overlay the underlying policy. So on the general liability side, once you meet those limits, whether let's say, let's use the $2 million aggregate for property. Let's say I'm sued a couple times by you know, a neighbor and a tenant and I hit that, that threshold, that 2 million. Well, then the excess umbrella policy kicks in and it will go up, you know, you can go as high as you want to. I'd say most of my investors seem to like the number 3 million so that they have a total of 5 million general liability. So you just, you're very well protected with um, the combination of those higher limits on the GL side on the underlying policy and then the umbrella laying over it. So that's what I like to see. Did all that make any sense? I think so. Yep. I've got insurance ease, right? I have to go back and take notes and then, you know, give that to my provider. But uh, yeah, yeah. Hey, is this what I have? (laughs) So, what is the difference between basic coverage and a special form policy? So, that's really easy. So, uh, and basically, when I refer to these, they're the insuring contract. So, you have the basic form insuring contract, and then you have a special form insuring contract. The special form can also, you can sometimes see it called broad, broad form. And that just means that everything is, any peril will be covered under this policy unless they have specifically written down that it is not covered. And they call that an exclusion. So unless it is specifically excluded in writing, it's covered. On a basic form policy, only what is listed on the policy is covered everything else is not covered. So it's the opposite. So as you can see, a special form policy, which would be similar to your homeowner's policy is much more comprehensive. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Basic policies typically only cover the five basic perils. And oftentimes you will see them endorsed for theft and um, malicious mischief as well. So That's, that's great advice. Okay, and then what um, what do the terms claims made and occurrence mean, and how does it affect an insured in the event of a claim? So let's say you have a policy, and then you move to a different carrier, and let's say the policy that policy ended December first, twenty twenty, and then in February of twenty twenty one, you get there's a lawsuit that happened in or a claim, any claim really, that happened like in November of 2020. So during that other policies period. Well, if it's a claims made policy, there is no coverage. That policy is expired, it's done, it's over. That claim happened, even though you're finding out after the fact, the event happened back when that policy was in effect. So claims made, no coverage. With an occurrence policy, there still would be coverage for that event that happened under that policy, even though the policy is no longer in place. Does that make sense? So you want to get the occurrence policy? Yes. Okay. Okay, good. Absolutely. I've had um, clients learn that became my clients after learning this the hard way. So it's definitely, it's worth knowing at least, you know. Mm-hmm. Sure. And then what is coinsurance? So coinsurance, that is a fun topic. What <laughs> that means, and, uh, it, and it's, it's 
kind of tricky. There's a formula in, the, in your policy, most policies about this. But what this means is that if you cover, if your property is covered for less than 90% of replacement cost. So basically if you are underinsuring your property, then at the time of loss, coinsurance will kick in and it will, what it does is it will reduce the settlement by about the same amount of deficiency that you are underneath replacement cost. So um, again, I'm not using the exact formula, but roughly what this means is if you're insuring your property for 50% of replacement cost, at the time of a settlement, you'll first, you know, the deductible is paid, but after that, your settlement will be roughly 50% of the replacement cost as opposed to the full replacement cost. So in effect, coinsurance means that you are actually self-insuring to a greater degree. Mm. Um, this comes in uh, to into play a lot with real estate investors because some real estate investors say, well, I got this property for, you know, pennies on the dollar. It's not worth replacement cost. Mm -hmm. I don't want to pay the premium associated with replacement cost. The insurer says my replacement cost is X, Y, Z. Well, that's way too much. Well, that may be so. You may have gotten a great deal on the property. Um, you may not want to pay this, but just understand that at the at claim time, if you are underinsured, you will then be paying more, uh, you know, to rebuild or replace. Right. You want to have yeah. enough money to rebuild, regardless of what you paid. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Don't skip out on your insurance. This is the one thing you want to you want to spend on. Well, I mean, if you're, if you're very risk tolerant and you've got a bucket of money set aside and, you know, you, you're good at that sort of thing. I am not. And my husband is great at it. I will, I'm, I've said this before, but I will go buy shoes every time. So I need to have good insurance coverage because I'm not going to have the money set aside. I'm going to have shoes, but anyway, <laughs> terrible analogy, but it's so true. Well, so. Unfortunately, you probably aren't getting those getting to wear those shoes much these days. Oh my gosh, slippers, no. lots of slippers these days. I know it's a yoga pants and socks. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty happy with that. I am too, but I did get dressed for you today. You do. You look wonderful. Thank you. And so do you. <laughs> Thank you. All right, deductibles. Deductibles. What uh, should we opt for? Uh, this again goes back to that risk tolerance statement. So that is a question each person should ask themselves. How much can I afford to come out of pocket in the event of a loss? Mm -hmm. You know, as opposed to how much do I want to pay in insurance premiums each month or each year or however term, however your billing is. Um, obviously, the higher the deductible, the lower the premium. But at the time of settlement, the higher the deductible, the more out of pocket you come. So... It's really, it comes down to risk tolerance. How risk tolerant are you or how risk adverse are you? Um, it seems like from my perspective, my, I see the sweet spot being about $5,000 for real estate investors. Okay. Um, 2,500 to, to 5,000 seems to be where pe most people fall. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Uh, and then finally, loss of rent. Is that something that's uh, good, uh, worth having? I think so. Mm -hmm. For real, for buy and hold investors, I think it's a great coverage. Um, me and one of my colleagues will debate about this all day long, but I think it's great because it's a very low premium. And yet, if you've got mortgages on your investment properties and you have a fire, and you can't have that property leased, so you're not getting that rental income for a very small amount of premium that you've paid before, you will have that amount of rent paid to you each month mm -hmm. while the repairs are being done. So um, in my opinion, it's, it's a great coverage to add. Definitely worth it. Okay. And finally, what should we look for on the declarations page? On the declar declarations page, you will see the named insured. You will see the policy period. You will see the carrier. You will see the address of the properties if it's not a master policy. It's a master policy that that's a little different. Uh, you will see the limits of coverage, the premiums, the type of policy it is, the form, um, and the deductible. Okay, yeah. great stuff. Okay. Oh, I do have one last question. I I've heard that if you buy a new home, a new build, that insurance is less. Is that true for for most insurers? Yes, oftentimes. Yes, they like so that's a good reason to buy a new home, right? You yeah, calculate that in the in the uh, pro forma. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But if you think of anything else, you know, or if your listeners think of anything, you know, please feel free to email me or send me a text. Yeah, we'll have all your information in the show notes and then also at realwellshow.com under resources. You're listed there. And I know Rich and I need to be calling you because we've got insurance carriers in different states and they're all different. And I don't think I've looked at the policies in a few years. So um, that's that's probably a good idea is to, to just in general for people to bring you their policies for you to look at and see what they got. Because I mean, how most of us nor, normal folks, non-insurance people don't really know what we're looking at. This is so true. And I, I think that it's good just, you know, as investors have a team have somebody you trust for your accounting, have somebody you trust for your real estate law and legal advice, have an insurance person you trust, you know, whether that's me or, or somebody else, but have your team around you because, you know, you have enough hats to wear without trying to be the expert in everything. Mm -hmm. So yeah. yes, I'm always happy to take a look. Yeah. Especially if you've got a full-time job and a family and you're trying to exercise <laughs> and aging parents. I mean, there's so much that's going on. We can't necessarily yeah, the dog, the fish. Yeah. <laughs> and now homeschooling. Yes. Now we're all homeschool teachers. <laughs> I'm a really bad homeschool teacher. I will not lie. I'm we're ready for, for that part to end. I, I think, think it's still very funny how we met. We were what in the airport and we didn't have yes. a car and we just met you and you're going to the same conference and you gave us a ride and Anyway, here we are. I know. How's Tim doing? I remember he was next to me and we were both asleep. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's doing great. He's still with us and he's still traveling the country, not very often, but uh, looking for property teams to, um, to provide rental properties with property management in place for our members. We're up to 54,000 members now. Oh Real my well. gosh. That is amazing. I love it. Well, you guys do a great job. So. Thank you so much. Yeah, we have maybe a thousand new members every month. Uh, 
I think especially in 2020, people realized that was a, a good place to put to put their investment. It certainly seems that way because, yeah. uh, you know, I've talked to, it seems like it's just growing and growing, you know. Yeah, absolutely. More, more rental demand than ever. All right, Beth, it was so great to have you on again. And thank you for sharing your brilliance with us. It's, it's, I think people are going to go back, listen to this and take lots of notes, although we'll work on getting those show notes in our, on our page at realwellshow.com. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you. It is always a pleasure and um, you take care. You too. All right. Good luck with that homeschooling. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and thank you for joining us here on The Real Wealth Show. You can go to realwealthshow.com for the show notes and to get the contact information for Beth. Again, you just go to realwealthshow.com and click on the resources tab. And there'll be a drop down there for you with all kinds of referrals to different property teams across the country, property managers that we've worked with for years that have great reputations and also lenders and again, insurance agents, asset protection experts, all kinds of goodies there under the resources tab at realwealthshow.com.